Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. It doesn't really matter where in the journey or where in someone's journey you are, you can be helpful. I think the hardest part is that there is no end. You know, as humans, I think we process information and we can deal with information when we know there's an end. Here's what I would do. I would dissolve money. Money goes away. No money. None. Today's episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc., where digital healthcare is their niche. Whether you're looking to implement remote patient monitoring in-house, start a chronic or principal care management program, or even leverage telehealth to optimize the delivery of care and outcomes for your patients and team, Chirpy Bird Inc. can help. They offer results-based solutions for practices and health systems to support docs and patients during this uncertain time. You can find them and all of their services online at chirpybirdinc.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where we're dedicated to amplifying the career journey, accomplishments, and lessons learned of women everywhere. I'm your host, Joy Rios. And I'm your other host, Robin Roberts. During the day, together we run a health IT consultancy known as Chirpy Bird Inc., where we get to geek out on all things healthcare, technology, and policy. But along the way, Joy noticed that so many women were running organizations, but too few were leading or being recognized. So we decided to change that. Together, we're learning about the puzzle that is healthcare and sharing what we find with you, our listeners. You can expect us to be talking with some pretty badass women. We will even be exploring how the pandemic is impacting many of their professional lives this season. We've also formed a private community of both guests and listeners over on Slack to help make connections, offer support to one another, and share the resources we come across. If you want to join us, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. Our shout outs this week go to Lygia, Susan, Christina, Janae, Ashley, Sharice, and Julie for joining our Martini Monday Hangouts, where we've been able to talk shop, share about our everyday lives, and learn how to make a dirty martini. We'll be planning lots more events like these in 2021, so if you want to join us, join the pod. That's where we make announcements and offer the details. All right, enough already. There are too many awesome women to talk with. Let's get started. This week, we're talking with one of my favorite humans. Her name is Amy Schmid, and she's a salesperson for an anatomical pathology lab who works with medical practices all across the country. And no joke, if there was ever a zombie apocalypse, I would probably head to wherever Amy is to make sure she's on my team. I can't wait for you all to meet her, so let's get started. 
Amy, did you know the job that you have existed when you were a kid? And how did you find it? Like, tell us a little bit about your journey into kind of thinking of what you thought you were going to do when you grew up and how you landed where you are. And I know that for you in particular, because we know each other, that's a long story. It's a long story. Yeah. So, I mean, even just thinking about without dragging on, like started when I was three, (laughs) you know, but you have a very, very interesting story that I would like to hear your version of the highlights on. Highlight reel and low light reel. Yeah. (laughs) It started, I guess when I was a kid, I always knew that I wanted to do something to help people. Instead of being a superhero, I decided that I was going to be a rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard. And right before I shipped off for the Coast Guard, I ended up getting really sick with a neurological disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And that's a bit of a rare disease, but essentially I became paralyzed for a while. Did not go into the military and I had to find a different path relatively quickly because I was an adult that needed to pay bills. So I started being a personal trainer. And then from there, I still had this burning desire. Can you stop for a second? Because yeah. that I always think about that. I'm like, you just passed on over being paralyzed for a while. And whenever when I met you, I was like, wait a second. That's clearly something that informed your perspective on the world. Yeah, you're right. What was that like to be paralyzed for any amount of time? I would say that I, it was extremely humbling extremely humbling, especially being a super jock athlete kid who could do anything. And then all of a sudden I couldn't do anything without at least one person helping me. So of course I was super grateful to my mother because she was by my side the entire time. But the process of getting sick took multiple doctors. It took traveling, it took tests and more diagnostics and theories. And, you know, I ended up seeing one doctor who thought that my tattoo on my back was possibly leaking toxins into my system and creating this athlete to be paralyzed. And so we made an appointment to the plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon said, no, this is not it. And we started back at square one. So the process of diagnosis took months And what we determined once I ended up in front of the head of the neurology department at the Ohio State University, who I am extremely grateful to, she looked over my test, she ran a couple more, and she just had the light bulb go off and said, oh, you have Guillain-Barre syndrome. Great, I have a diagnosis. What does that mean? Well, it's probably going to be six months before you can walk again, but at least we have a path. And you would think in that moment that I would be excited to have a diagnosis, but in that moment I was scared and sad and what do you mean I'm not going to be able to walk for six months but ultimately you have to make a choice in that time to determine to decide if you want to be depressed and move slowly and be sick or work with the team that you're given which ended up being a team in the hospital for a couple weeks and then a team in rehab in the hospital and then a team out of you know outpatient rehab and it was just a journey. And, and what was strange is through that journey, I wasn't the sickest person. You know, I was learning how to walk. I should say I was learning how to sit on a step and move up the steps backwards in order to, you know, move a flight of stairs and then eventually hold my weight up and learn how to take steps again. But I wasn't the sickest person. I was the healthy person in an inpatient hospital setting and in an outpatient rehab facility. And 
you just, I guess maybe that was the taste of how much people need support and they need, you know, experts and they need a friendly hello sometimes when you have a crappy day. So that was kind of a lot of information, but the short version is it was extremely humbling. And then I just learned that it doesn't really matter where in the journey or where in someone's journey you are, you can be helpful. And it can be as simple as saying hello to someone who's having that crappy day or the person that does the diagnosis or the person that's in charge of the EMG or, you know, there are so many steps along the way for, you know, to align someone with or get them back to whatever their health is. Well, and we've known each other for about five years and that's definitely a personality trait of yours that you're constantly the bright spot in somebody's day. Because I know how important it is and I and you can see instantaneously when you walk up to someone and compliment them because their hair looks good. It's a, their face changes and they yeah. light up and they just feel for two seconds that moment of oh, someone noticed, you know, and that can be that's healthcare. That's just taking care of somebody in the moment. Okay, so we met because we worked together mm-hmm. and we worked together in healthcare. Do you kind of want to, okay, pick up? I mean, bring it there. back. Bring it back. Okay, so working as a personal trainer, decided, nope, I still have this itch. I'm going to be a firefighter since I can't go into the military. So I went to school, finished an associate's degree in firefighting, but no one was hiring. It's a tough job to get. And so I went into a dermatology clinic to just gain clinical experience. And that's when I started working one-on-one with patients and, and doctors and understanding, you know, all the steps that are involved with clinical work. And I eventually became the practice manager for that dermatology office, which I learned so much. You were talking about all the different aspects. As a practice manager, you deal with the good, the bad. You have to create things. You have to create policies and marketing and find staff and fire staff and security and technology and the printer doesn't work and we're out of paper and it's just everything. And I have so much respect for the people that do it. It wasn't for me. Yeah. It was time for me to find something else, but I found a niche. I found something where I got to help people and not just one or two people, but thousands of patients, hundreds of thousands of patients within a practice. So my practice was working with the company where we met I asked if they were hiring. They said yes. And I took this role in anatomical pathology, which I had to even learn. What is anatomical pathology? What is it? What does that even mean? So a piece of skin, what happens to that piece of skin? It gets made into a slide and then, oh, really professional, intelligent people read that slide and come up with a diagnosis and it's complicated. And I loved it because I got to work with the clients and help those clients take care of their patients better. And we met, so Mm -hmm. that's always great. Mm -hmm. It gave me opportunity to travel. I mean, I became a resource for so many practices because I'd been in so many clients that are experiencing the same things that if they had questions, I most likely knew what someone else was doing to alleviate their pain points. And Well, and part of the reason why we, we started the same month Mm-hmm. And the same year, and kind of were in the same region, and so ended up traveling to a lot of the same clients and overlapping and meeting the same doctors and their staff. And yeah. what a learning experience to be able to see all the different practice sizes and practice types in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. As far up as like middle of nowhere, Alaska. That was great. That was really fun. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and a great, great client up there. Yeah. yeah. And, on top of that, just meeting all the different personalities, you know, whoever the leadership is in that client, you had to be a bit of a chameleon to figure out how do we get to their objective? If they're not going to listen to me, I need to figure out a different way to get in there 
or maybe they were open to it or, you know, you just dealt with so many different personalities and And their priorities are different based on where they are and their communities and, you know, what their patient population cares about Mm -hmm. or what's common in, you know, Southern California versus Idaho. Like they have different, different needs. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you've been dealing with pathology on the dermatology side. What has been your role within that? What does it actually mean? What does your job look like day in, day out? And I know it's changed over the last five years. So briefly. A uh, quick version. I started in dermatology, but the company that I work for is multi-specialty. So I dove into neuropathology, urology, GI. Did I say urology? You did. Yes. Okay. So we have... And oncology. Thank you. One. I should know these. <laughs> and every single specialty is extremely different. Different personalities, different requirements, different processing types. So my job, essentially, I work in sales. My job is to keep the clients that we have now happy and make sure we grow with them and we help them grow and we help them succeed in whatever it is that they want to do. And then, of course, my job is to prospect and find other clients or potential clients out there that have pain points that we can alleviate. But when we talk about helping people, because that's your passion, Mm -hmm. and that's a lot of what drives you of making sure you can help as many people as possible, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what does that mean? Because essentially, the way that I understand it is if somebody has cancer, you're helping them find out as soon as possible whether or not they have cancer or not so that they can act on it. Right. What else? Well, it's interesting because I'm in sales you know, you get this stereotype of a salesy person. But I think the reason I've been successful in sales is because I'm not a salesy person. I walk in and I legitimately think that I can help you. I find out whatever the pain points are. And in pathology, it can be turnaround time. It can be the diagnosis doesn't seem correct. It can be just limitations in communication between a pathology team and the client. It can be workflow, actually getting the specimens and requisitions to the lab and then getting the reports back to the providers in, a, you know, in an efficient way. And there are 14,000 other smaller ways that I can help somebody. But what I basically do is identify, okay, I found a pain point. You may not know it's a pain point, but I can make it better. Okay, I found another one. Let me show you what we can do, and then I'm going to teach your staff, and I'm going to work with the providers, and I'm going to figure out a way to make pathology an afterthought. It's going to be the easy part of your day. So you're going to go home at 5 o'clock. You're not going to think about it. You're going to trust your path team, and the technology's in place, and everything just runs smoothly. And then that's what gets me so excited is like walking away from a a new client start and thinking, all right, they're going to be so excited that they're getting the reports back in two days. And (laughs) and, oh, they have a question about a report. No problem. Let's just pull up an online meeting and have the pathologist actually show the provider the case. Let's discuss it, you know, things like that. Well, it's a lot about being like a a mediator and and you're helping folks that are literally either from the front desk or, you know, a PA or an MA or whatever, and all the way to doctors, all the way to pathologists and folks Mm -hmm. that are working in the actual lab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the level of conversations and communications that you're having is across the board. Definitely. With your attitude coming to that, no matter who it is, everyone appreciates. Thank you. I mean, I do. I see you you and I smile. Well, I hope that's the case. I mean, you mentioned pathologists. Pathologists really want to do a good job. That's what they went to school for. They want to help patients. They want to be part of the, you know, the treatment and the diagnosis. And, and they want to make sure they get the diagnosis right as well. 
And it can be something as simple as having a conversation with a dermatopathologist who has a funky rash case and then figuring out a way, a HIPAA compliant way to get the photo of, you know, a close up of the rash and then a full body photo of the rash to the pathologist. It can completely change a diagnosis, like get as much information to the pathologist as possible because who knows, this patient may have gone to six or seven different doctors with this nasty rash and no one can give them a diagnosis or a treatment plan that actually works. And so when you get to be a piece of that puzzle and, and kind of close the loop, that's why I go to work. That's the exciting part. Okay, so let's talk about how things have changed because when you started this job, it was 80% travel. Right? Oh, yes. And it was constantly being on the road, in hotels, on planes, in cars, all over the place. And COVID hit this year and essentially changed everything. So tell me about that shift. It has been quite a shift. Well, first of all, in my role, I have to constantly stay in contact with clients. They don't want me in their office right now. I don't want to go into their offices right now. The specialists that we work with are just trying to keep their families safe and their patients and their staff safe and stay open and you yourself are immunocompromised to a degree, yes? Correct, yes. Okay. Yes, Guillain-Barre syndrome, mm-hmm. correct. So I don't really want to be exposed. No one wants to be exposed. But regardless, I don't travel. I mean, everything has become virtual. I really had to lay off most of the specialists when COVID hit and quarantine happened and everyone shut down because they didn't want to talk to me, and that's okay. You know, They wanted to stay safe. They needed to figure out what patients they should see who is an elective surgery and who's not, you know, the stress levels in these practices, it was high, high level stress. You know, you think about that image of like an elevator door opening and people running around and papers flying. That's what they were dealing with. And they were, you know, worried about exposure and bringing things home. And so I really just kind of put my brakes on and tried to be in a supportive role where I would casually check in with folks and say, how are you doing? I'm not asking about the practice. I'm not asking about business. I'm asking about you. How are you? And then really my role for a few months was just listening. I don't think a lot of providers had an outlet and I don't think a lot of staff had an outlet and they would walk into a war zone every single day and then go home to a family and maybe not be able to see their family. And so for a while, my role was just listening I think a lot of people kind of got used to COVID and they understood that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not coming in, but I'm available. Yeah. And so then our conversation started to shift because they started seeing patients again. But that, I mean, just during that time, I mean, gosh, we've all been through it, but their volume was down and especially on the dermatology side, I'm sure. Every specialty. Yeah. Nobody's Mm -hmm. going in to, for anything. Unless, really. Yeah. Unless it's a, a sick patient. You know, elective surgeries were held. So unless it's a sick patient, doctors were probably not, you know, they're just pushing appointments back a little bit. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. If you like the vibe of this podcast, you're going to love our private Slack community. It's super supportive, ladies only pod, where we offer real talk, real advice and genuine engagement to our members to help them stay inspired and level up. To join, just go to hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash community. All right, now let's get back to the show. You're uniquely qualified to talk about this because you have so many touch points around the country of different practices in different specialties. Mm -hmm. So what 
overall was just sort of, and you've touched on it already, but just expand. Like, what's the general feeling? Fear, concern, freaking out, like over being overwhelmed? Overwhelmed, definitely. And we had a couple calls, you know, our nationwide lab, we would have calls, team calls, and we, we would just brainstorm about whether what practices are doing to see their patients. So in Arizona, in many parts of the country, we have parking lots and waiting rooms and patients can call to check in and then sit in the car and then get a call when they're ready to go into the practice. But we have clients in New York City and areas where there aren't parking lots and there isn't really an area to wait. And so what do you do? And we have quite a few brainstorming sessions of how can we help our clients see patients and keep their patients safe and keep themselves safe. And, you know, luckily we started offering COVID testing, which I'm sure we'll get to if we're mm-hmm. not there yet. But that allowed a lot of our clients to start to open up their practices again safely or at least as safe as possible and at least check a box because our turnaround time is so short. But still, even then, we had conversations of what do you do after you test a patient? How do you guarantee that they quarantined? How do you? You have to ask the patient and hope that they're... Believe them. Yeah, hope Mm -hmm. that they're taking care of themselves and taking care of the people that they're going to be around and... You know? I mean, I went to the dentist and it was just a sign on the door that says, if you feel, if you're not feeling well, mm-hmm. don't come in. Mm-hmm. Literally. I know you're standing right here, but just turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And practices would encourage, they would say, you know, we'll, we're going to, you know, we'll do our confirmation calls. When they get somebody on the phone, they would ask them those few questions. Have you been exposed to anyone? Do you have a fever, any cough, any headache? But I and, imagine the anxiety around that is really high too because coughs still happen whether or not you have COVID <laughs> and people still sneeze whether or not you have COVID and I'm, and people still have temperatures whether or not you have COVID and yeah. you're just like... Everyone is just erring on the side of caution. Yeah. Like, ooh, you sneezed, you stay home for a couple of days. Let's just make sure it was just a sneeze. <laughs> is it allergies or is it COVID? Which providers didn't... I mean, at some point... Here's the best story. One of my clients, I love her to death, she wears her hair up in what looks like a fancy shower cap and she's got her goggles on and she's got her face mask on and then she's got her face shield on and she's running around the practice like Betty Crocker and that's just her norm now. Like we're all so used to it. You don't think anything of it. You see people in masks, you don't think anything of it. You see an MA in full, you know. PPE. Exactly. You don't think anything of it and that's just where we are. I mean, the stress for some of these clients was they weren't ordering the disinfecting wipes. Mm-hmm. You know, they were used, the smaller clinics would order them once a year. And then now their their supplier was saying, if you didn't order them in the last six months, you're not getting them. And so the stress became, I can't get alcohol swabs. Yeah. I can't get sanitizing wipes. You know, I have to, I don't have enough masks. It was stress from all ends. I mean, I've, so I've recently moved to Baja, California, and we have a client who was having a hard time finding wipes. And I was like, last time I went to Home Depot, there were wipes. Let me go get some for them. And I tried, but since the last time I went and the time that I actually went back, they just had this like liquid that you could mix together that had the Clorox. I shipped it anyway. Cause yeah. I was like, if you're having a hard time finding cleaning supplies, like I'll do whatever I can, but it's not. It's like like that level of stress of literally like I'm going to comb the last shelf in Mexico because they might not be out of Clorox wipes and ship them to you across the country because I want you guys to be able to take care of your patients. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, that was the stress. It was yeah. stress from all angles. I mean, I was talking to nurses who had elderly mothers that lived in their homes that decided I can't go to work anymore because if I go to work, I can kill my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're dealing with. There was no outlet. I think the hardest part is that there is no end. You know, as humans, I think we process information and we can deal with information when we know there's an end. We can come up with a plan. Yes. Yeah. Next week, it will get better. Or next year, it's going to get better. But right now, there are just theories and protocols in place, but there's no true end to when I can take a breath. Yeah. And that's stressful for folks. Definitely stressful. Well, we're all figuring out how do you live? And how do you make it work? That's You just hit the nail on the head. We're all figuring it out. And as a lab, when our volume dropped, we had staff that needed to take care of their kids because their kids are home. You know, we had personnel changes. We had all of the stuff going on. And then I think it was, you know, June 1st, practices said, okay, we're going to open up. And our volume jumped, but we didn't have staff back because we, people haven't figured out childcare yet. And just as the clients were going through these growing pains, I don't want to call them growing pains, as these clients were going through these pandemic Other, pains, yeah, pandemic pains. <laughs> as a lab, we were going through the same, the same pains. We had pathologists out. We had a pathologist leave because she just didn't feel safe. You can't fault anybody for it, but that's, that was our reality. And, you know, our turnaround time suffered, which is extremely important for providers, you can imagine. But when I would explain to the clients, hey, I recognize that our turnaround time is not great. I sincerely apologize. Here's what we're dealing with. The forgiveness, I mean, forgiveness everywhere. Clients were sending us things that inappropriately packaged or, you know, the requirements weren't met. Forgiven. We'll work it out. We're figuring everything out together. You just united. It wasn't us against them or like the partnership really. Yeah. We're in new territory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The map isn't written yet. Mm -hmm. We've got to figure it out. Yeah. So... The lab didn't do COVID testing before. That wasn't a thing. No. How did that start? Well, there was definitely a need. I think, okay, we have a a molecular lab and there was clearly a need to figure out how we can process COVID tests because we were hearing it from the field that, you know, the major labs out there were slowly and not efficiently processing COVID tests. And we were hearing nightmare stories about how Patients would have negative results and then get a report that was a positive result and how patients were showing up to get tested at some of these drive-through COVID spots and then the spot would run out of tests, but they would still get a positive notification or, or positive result in there. So somebody who never got a test is getting a result. Okay. Yep. Someone who never got tested is being notified. This has happened twice now that I know of is someone who has never tested is getting Somebody notification that they were positive. Yeah, that's that's right. scary. Yeah. Very scary. And again, forgiveness, we're all trying to figure it out, but that's something that needs to be figured out yesterday. Our lab started offering COVID tests to our specialists first because first of all, it's new territory, no roadmap. We had to make sure that we could process the tests effectively and efficiently. We have the technology, we have the platforms. We knew that our results were going to be right, We just had to make sure that the protocols and procedures to get the specimens to the lab safely and the results out as efficiently and effectively as possible was in place for folks. And so we opened it up to our specialists and surprisingly, not a ton of our specialists jumped on board, which can be understood. I mean, as soon as you introduce COVID testing, you're introducing 
you know, a world of the unknown. And many specialists would prefer to just push those, those patients to the CVS and the Walgreens yeah. and then get the reports later. But we definitely had a couple specialists that said, no, we need to do this. We'll do it ourselves. And so that's what we were doing is we were helping our specialists with their COVID testing. But I have a question. I mean, mm-hmm. how many people are calling their dermatologist to get a COVID test? I would say, and it wasn't that. It wasn't that patients were calling their dermatologist to get a COVID test. It was that in order for the dermatologist to perform their Mohs surgery or oh. get this patient who has a history of melanoma in for their skin check because it's been seven months and the dermatologist wanted to see them in six months, you know, it was the practice's decision who they wanted to test. Gotcha. Or in the GI space, the surgery center space, depending on the state, they had to have a negative COVID test before they could see the patient for an elective surgery. So it's almost a, in an effort to keep them and their staff safe before mm-hmm. any... Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it was just a way of controlling the threat as much as possible. Okay. But then, you know, then what we started to figure out is the doctor's wife and kids were exposed. So now they're testing their wife and kids and their lead nurse's husband is feeling ill. And so you started to see these tests go out to family members. And in my role, I started to really hear the personal stress, right? I feel like in the beginning when, the, when, when everything shut down back in March, maybe I knew of somebody who had COVID. But by May and June, it was the people that I knew that were, had been exposed and it was getting closer and closer and closer. And so I know that I'm not alone in that, in that thought process. And so I actually went to my lab and I said, look, we need to open this up. This can't be just for our clients because it's not going to make a dent in this pandemic. If we have the ability to get folks their turnaround, or sorry, to get their results in 24 to 48 hours. Which is like better than any head and shoulders above. Yeah, we're talking 10 days to two weeks. Yeah. In most cases, at least a week. Yeah. Why aren't we hitting the road and saying, look, like, let's. We can Start help using more our tests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And lucky enough, I don't want to say luck, but fortunately, fortunately, the lab that I work for was on board and they said, okay, yeah, open it up, see what you can do. And so I, you know, for a week, I just got on the phone and I called every place. Well, strategically, I was looking to see how we could get the biggest bang for the buck. You know, who tests a ton of patients every single day? And who can use these, you know, who can use this turnaround time to get the law enforcement and, you know, the people that are out and about that are needed, the essential folks, how can we make sure that they're safe and their families are safe? And so that's been fun. That's kind of been this like rush of, you need help? I can help you. Your turnaround time's two weeks. Let me help you. Well, especially since you're saying how much everything has changed. And let's be honest, like this has not been the happiest year. It's been been stressful. Yeah. (laughs) To find a way to give you a little bit of purpose or feeling like that your work really matters and is making a difference. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is that as anyone in their career feels, I'm sure you need to always be making progress. You need to feel successful, even if it's a tiny little victory for the day or the week, like you need those. And I'm sure like everybody else, I was losing my motivation because no one wanted to talk to me and I can't go visit 
clients like I used to. And I'm a people person. So I want to look at your face and see how you are doing. And I can't do that. Well, that's why I wanted to know how you're doing. Because how have you been? Because you're so, you're the most people person I know. Yeah. Good days and bad days, I would say. Every team meeting we had, you know, via Zoom, my camera was on. I'm like, I want to see your face. Look at me in the eye. I need to have this interaction. I need it. But even our clients, I was asking, do you want to have a virtual meeting? Like, let me see your face. No, we don't have time. We're doing like, I get it. But I was definitely in a funk of not able to really reach prospects, just checking in on our current clients and making sure that they're able to operate and things are running smoothly. And COVID gave me this outlet to have meaningful conversations and bring support and bring help. And so I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks and I've brought on... Let me think. If I do the math, I think I'm close to, well, it's between 500 and 1,500 COVID cases per week. Wow. So think about that. You know, 500 to 1,500 patients. slowing the spread, hopefully, because if they're getting their answers quicker, then they're not out and about spreading it to more people. Yeah. And it's Department of Health folks. It's municipalities. It's school districts. It's corporate contracts. You know, it's, it's the patient's that are going to be out and about. And when they stay home, it not only hurts their family, you know, maybe their entire family has to stay home because they sneezed, but their business is hurting. And, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to safely get people back to work quickly yeah, and identify those folks that should not go back to work. And then let's do our contact tracing and figure out who else needs to get tested. It's like playing detective too, I just realized. (laughs) It's superhero and detective. (laughs) You're a hero, healthcare hero. (laughs) But I do, okay, so I'm trying to, we've asked people if they could have any, if they could wave a magic wand and solve any problem in healthcare or health IT, what would they solve and why? And I'm, I'm debating between asking you that or from your perspective, what do you think COVID brings in the near-term future, five to six months, and it's not like you have a crystal ball either. So of those two questions, which would you prefer to answer? I need to understand. So the second question was what's coming with COVID in yeah, the Yeah, but sort of like, what do you, because it's things are not going to go back to the way they were. I don't see a change. Anytime soon. In the coming months. I don't see much of a change. I just see, I see us getting a better handle and getting more data and more information to hopefully slow the spread, but I don't see, you know, the PPE is not going away. The testing's not going away. The self-quarantine, none of that is going away. Yeah. I don't see much of a change. I would say, what I would say the change would be is that people are more comfortable with the idea of doing COVID testing and the actual process of COVID testing becomes more efficient and we get patients more information. And then hopefully that is what slows the spread. And In our specialties, our pathologists are finding COVID manifest in funky ways. And so sometimes they'll see specimens come through and they'll call the provider and say, I think this is COVID. See, I want to hear about that. Like what? What Because how? Skin manifestations. I mean, but it happens in all the specialties, but derm's my baby. So I know a little bit more about derm, but inflammation, right? So rashes, things that present with some type of red, irritated, funky rash But when the pathologist is looking at the case, they're not seeing anything out of the ordinary. You know, the certain markers aren't there for eczema or, you know, something that could just be simply explained by a simple rash. And 
once they talk to the provider and say, I think this could be COVID because of these certain markers, now that changes the way that this patient is addressed. You know, the patient gets COVID tested and then boom, they have COVID. And that's where we're kind of talking about the whole asymptomatic. Right. right? It's like, okay, somebody may not be showing signs of COVID in any other way, but then it shows up right. something. It may not be the skin. sneeze. It yeah. may be the rash that's forming on your arm right now. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, right? <sighs> Crazy. But then, unfortunately, the testing for derm stops at that point. Once a patient tests positive for COVID, dermatologists don't, I mean, you don't get to biopsy, you don't get to create wounds on a patient that is compromised at this point. So there aren't too many studies that follow that positive COVID test, unfortunately, until the autopsy. Oh, God. Okay. That's the truth. I mean, pathologists are realizing how COVID is manifesting in, in their specialty and they're having these these conversations with their specialists, but then there isn't a ton of research at that point because yeah. they're not biopsying and they're not running a whole lot of unnecessary or what could be deemed unnecessary tests until the autopsy. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff we don't know. I mean, we're learning. It's such a scary thought. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's new territory, but also the advancement of something like, oh, you're talking rash to autopsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I read an article about a young girl who was having trouble breathing and it turned out to be a heart condition caused by COVID, the inflammation. Wow. I mean, that's simplifying it, but it can manifest in many different ways. Let's talk positive. Yes. That's that's too much. Can we, what's your magical wish? My magical wish, if I could solve any (laughs) problem, if I could solve, here's what I would do. I would dissolve money. Money goes away. No money, none. Doctors become doctors because they want to help people, not because they want to earn a lot of money. Nurses become nurses because they want to help people. Money goes away. Well, and then the issue, sorry to jump in, but thinking around like whether insurance covers it Gone. goes away. Gone. Make yeah. it go away. Somebody has a health issue and they can go to, to address it mm-hmm. and not be worried about whether it's going to be covered or not. Yeah. I mean, I know so many or people. Or bankrupt to them. Right. Yeah. People are afraid to go to the doctor because they can't afford a bill or they don't know if they can afford a bill. And then I see it on the practice side where unfortunately... Many providers are practicing based on what they're going to get reimbursed for or money can be tied to so many different things. If we could eliminate that and just go to the roots of why healthcare providers became healthcare providers and saw patients as patients and not 15 minute block where I'm going to make $140 and then if I do this, then I'm going to make $60 and okay, I have to see the patient back because if I do this procedure, I'm not going to get paid for it during this visit and so when they come back, then I'll get my $100. I just wish that that piece could magically go away. That's my magic wish. I like that wish. That's my magic wish and it would be magic because I recognize that the system would collapse. (laughs) (laughs) I have to mention that I'm not talking about doctors providing, or sorry, ordering a plethora of tests because they can, because money's not involved. I'm talking about just the sheer human decency and dignity and taking care of people because you want to take care of people, right? not because there's any money involved. Yeah. Well, that if we could keep people healthier longer and out of the system altogether, yeah. it'd be kind of better for everyone. An example in pathology Insurance companies contract with lower, cheaper labs. 
And with cheaper labs comes cheaper quality and cheaper service. And we are a high quality lab that can't contract with some of these insurance companies. So unfortunately, providers have to send, have to send their specimens to a lab that they may or may not like the answer from because of money. And when you say they don't like the answer, it might not be the right answer. It may be the wrong answer. It may be hedging. It may be, we think it's this, but it could be this, but it might be this. Consider this. What does the doctor do with that? They usually send it to us and say, I need a second opinion because I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Well, Amy, if people want to find you, if they want to work with you, if they want to be your client, how would they reach out? How, maybe LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Okay. That would be a perfect way to reach me. Yeah. Amy Schmid. So A-M-Y. Last name is S-C-H-M-I-D. I got curly hair. And a big smile. Friendly smile. smile. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you've experienced because this is kind of the on the ground stuff that I think people are interested in hearing. Good. And I do just want to add that I would love to hear from other folks too. If you want to find me on LinkedIn and you have stories to share and I can help you or you know you can help me, let's let's chat, let's okay, network. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks, Amy. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybirdinc.com.